Welcome to Mount Olive First Pentecostal Holiness Church. Thank you for connecting with us. Our desire at MOF PHC is for you and your family to find hope in Jesus Christ so that He will transform your life. Thanks again for connecting with us. Please contact us if we can help you discover God's purpose for your life. Enjoy the message. So our, our mission in men's ministries is to call men into authentic manhood on their journey of becoming like Jesus. Men who reject passivity, accept responsibility, lead courageously, and expect the greater reward, God's reward. And that's not original with me. I borrow that definition of authentic manhood from Robert M. Lewis in his classic work, The Quest for Authentic Manhood. The first man, Adam, failed on every count. And if that was the only message we had, it would be a sad day indeed. But the good news of the gospel is that where the first man failed miserably, the second Adam, the perfect man, the Lord Jesus Christ, succeeded triumphantly. He did reject passivity. He did accept responsibility. He still leads courageously, and he has his eye on the goal, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of God the Father on high. And the mystery of the gospel, the hope of glory, is Christ within us. And so it's not I, but it's Jesus living on the inside of me that enables me by the power of the Holy Spirit to be a real man, an authentic man on my journey of becoming more like the perfect man, the Lord Jesus Christ. Our vision is to cultivate an atmosphere in the local church, not of male dominance, but of a male resurgence. Did you know that men outnumber women in the Hindu faith? Men outnumber women in the Islamic faith? It's only in Christianity that the women outnumber the, the men. And don't misunderstand, I'm grateful for the women. Hallelujah. Thanks be to God for Eve. Amen. And thanks be to God for the mother of all living and for every woman that's here today. But it's a sad Note indeed in the church when men are AWOL, absent without leave. And so I'm traveling the country and in some international travel pre-COVID, hoping that will open back up to sound the alarm, to wake up the mighty men of God, according to Joel chapter 3 and verse 9, and to cultivate an atmosphere that is male-friendly in our local churches where men discover that they're a part of a band of brothers, Ministry to men is relational. And then it ought to be transformational. That results in a comprehensive life change where we're growing more and more to be like Christ. It ought to be missional in nature where the Great Commission is not optional, but our mandate is to make disciples. So every man ought to have three men in his life. You ought to have an older man that's mentoring you like an Apostle Paul. You ought to have a peer mentor like Barnabas, and you ought to have some Timothy, some younger men that you're mentoring and pouring into. And I wouldn't say that and not have it in my own life. I have several Pauls in my life, older men that I meet with on a regular basis who speak into my life, hold me accountable. I have some peer mentors 
and I'm pouring into some younger men as well even as I'm traveling because we have this technology called a cell phone and we can Facebook and we can Zoom and it allows us to stay connected when we can't be together in person. And so every men's ministry is all to be generational where every man recognizes that he's a spiritual father whether he has any biological sons or daughters or not. You ought to be a spiritual father and you're imparting a legacy to the generation that is coming after you. I I sense in my spirit that I am in the midst of a life-giving church and that those very principles and concepts are not foreign to you. They're not new to you. They're a part of the DNA of the Mount Olive First Pentecostal Holiness Church. So now I want you to take God's Word, the Bible, and turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And I'm going to read verse 58 in a moment as a text. It is our theme verse in 2021 from Men's Ministries. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 58. Our theme for Men's Ministries in 2021 is Here I Stand. Here I Stand. I stand. Why don't you just say it with me? Here I stand. In fact, why don't you just stand right here? Here I stand. Say it again. Here I stand. One more time. Here I stand. Father, I pray that as we stand in your presence today, that you will take these three words, here I stand, and write them upon our hearts. Massage them into our spirit. May it become a clarion call for us, not just in 2021, but for the rest of our lives, that we would take our stand here in your presence and upon your word and in the power of your spirit, that we would stand in the faith and we would stand in the fight and we would stand in the family. So help us, God. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Here I stand, the theme for men's ministries in 2021. Where did I get those words? They are borrowed from Martin Luther, who is generally regarded as the father of the Protestant or the Lutheran Reformation or the German Reformation, it's sometimes called. And we celebrated the 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation three years ago in commemoration of that courageous act of Martin Luther on October the 31st, 1517, when he penned what is known as his 95 Theses to the doors of the church, his home church, Castle Church in Wittenberg, Germany. It lit a fire across Europe. It spawned what we know as the Protestant Reformation. So we celebrated that three years ago on October 31st, 2017 when Christians from all across the world gathered in Germany to commemorate the Protestant Reformation, 500 years. But what a lot of folk may not realize is that today, everybody say today, today, today is the 500th anniversary of Martin Luther's appearance before the Diet of Worms. Now don't 
misunderstand diet. You say, diet of worms. What is that? It's not a food diet, okay? So I, don't worry, no, no condemnation that the preacher's heaping on you today about your particular choice of diet. I'm not talking about a food diet. I'm not talking about some newfangled fad diet. No, a diet meant a congress, an assembly. And he was summoned, listen to this, by none other than the emperor himself because the pope of the Church of Rome had already declared Luther a heretic and had already sent him a papal bull announcing his excommunication from the Roman Catholic Church unless he would recant. He took the papal bull and he threw it in the fire in front of witnesses at the university where he was teaching the word of God. And in essence, he began to take his stand courageously for the unadulterated, inspired, inerrant, infallible Bible, the word of the living God. And so then the emperor got wind of what Luther was doing because it not only created a ripple effect in the religious arena, but it also impacted the political arena. And so the emperor summons him to the Diet of Worms in Germany. And he appears there on the 17th of 1517, which was yesterday. And he was told uh, or asked, are these your works? And if they are, do you stand by them or do you repudiate them? Do you renounce them, recant them? And he said, that I might have more time to prepare, may I request the privilege of returning tomorrow and I will give you my answer. He just wanted to have time to put together his formal statement and to articulate his position knowing what it would be. And so they granted him that privilege. He came back on the 18th. 500 years ago today. He was told to be there at 4 o'clock in the afternoon. He got there and he had to wait. And so they finally summoned him at 6 o'clock and the question was again posed. Uh, Do you stand by these works? Are they your works? And if so, what do you have to say about them? And this was how he responded. I think it's in the next slide. He said, quote, Unless I am convinced of error by the testimony of Scripture or by manifest reasoning, I stand convinced by the Scriptures to which I have appealed and my conscience is taken captive by God's Word. I cannot and will not recant anything for to act against our conscience is neither safe for us nor open to us. Here I stand. I can do no other. God help me a man. And so I have borrowed those words as a trumpet call for the men of God across the International Pentecostal Holiness Church summoning you to engage in this 21st century as authentic men of God on your journey of becoming like Jesus. Men who reject passivity, accept responsibility, lead courageously, and expect the greater reward, God's reward. Men who will say, here I stand. And that's the note of Scripture all throughout the Old Testament, the 39 books of the Old and the 27 of the New. So there are far too many instances to isolate and lift out this morning. It would make for an annual preaching series. Here I stand. 
But I do think about the words of the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58, where I invited you to turn in your Bibles, where the Apostle Paul says, Therefore, my dear brothers, and he didn't leave the ladies out. He said, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Stand firm. But you'll notice that that verse begins with a conjunction, therefore. And you have a great pastor, and I know he's taught you that anytime you see a therefore in the Bible, you should ask yourself, what is therefore, therefore? He is connecting what he has previously said to what he is now declaring. This is the conclusion of what he has said. And so what has he said? Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is typically regarded as the resurrection chapter of the Bible. And so that whole chapter, he has dealt with these mortal bodies. He's talked about the death that we shall face and the resurrection that in Christ we shall experience. And he has dealt so against the backdrop of the cardinal miracle of all the word of God, which is the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ from the dead. And it was just a few Sundays ago, earlier this month, that Christians gathered all over the world to celebrate again in our church calendar what we celebrate every Lord's Day and for that fact every day as a follower of Christ the fact that Christ is risen indeed from the dead. You see everything hinges on the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And Paul being a master debater uses a little word if repeatedly no less than seven times in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 stating the obvious if Christ be not risen from the dead. The obvious is that if Christ is not risen from the dead, then our faith is in vain. Our preaching is in vain. We are still in our sins. And of all men and women, we are most miserable and to be If Christ be not risen, we have gathered in vain. All we have is a social assembly. All we have is a fraternity or a sorority meeting. If Christ be not risen, then our singing is futile. If Christ be not risen, then our worship is but a human experience. If Christ be not risen, then I may as well pronounce a benediction and send you home and say, don't come back here anymore if Christ be not risen. If Christ be not risen, there is no cause worthy of our engagement. If Christ is not risen, then I'm just expostulating empty words without any depth of meaning, without any eternal significance or value. If Christ be not risen, if Christ be not risen, then there is no hope for any of us. If Christ be not risen, we have no intercessor to whom we may appeal. If Christ is not risen, then prayer is just simply a nice, sweet, uh, uh, 
human expression of some vain effort to find some rational meaning in life. But I came to declare what the Apostle Paul said, but now is Christ risen indeed from the dead. Up from the grave he arose with a mighty shout of triumph over all of his foes and he lives forevermore with all the saints to reign. Christ arose, Christ arose, I tell you. He is risen and our faith is not in vain and our preaching is not futile and our singing is not empty and our hope is alive. Hope has a name. His name is Jesus, the Christ, the Son of the living God, whoever lives to make intercession for the saints. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Therefore, therefore, because Christ is risen from the dead, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in resurrection of Christ from the dead coupled with the advent of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost galvanized the apostle Peter and the others and the Bible says they turned the world upside down and if we could only rediscover the realities of the risen Christ from the dead that he lives forevermore and behold he is coming in clouds of glory and every eye shall see him and one day the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our God and of his Christ and he shall reign forever and evermore world without if ever we could recapture that truth it would galvanize us in the midst of all of life's uh, fitful fevers and fearful frightening trials it would bolster us and we would have the courage the intestinal fortitude to stand firm so I'm calling men this year to stand firm in three areas to stand firm in the faith 1 Corinthians 16 13 gives us four staccato commands. They're like, almost like a machine gun. And it's not just a man's verse because the word of God is for the people of God. Thanks be to God. But if ever there was a verse that applied to men, here it is. Be on guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Be strong. Recently, I had the privilege to sit down with our presiding bishop, Doug Beecham, to interview him about the significance of the Diet of Worms and Luther's courageous stand. He's written two blog articles since that podcast interview, and all three are now available. I would encourage you to check it out. He gives the historical significance in detail and why the Diet of Worms still matters 500 years he said in one of those podcasts or the blog articles, he said today, and I quote him, more than ever, we need men who are willing to stand firm on the truth of God's word as we relate to our families, our jobs, and our service to Christ 
in the church. And I say amen. Why is that so important? Let me tell you why it's important. Because the motto for most people today is, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. We live in an epoch of time much like the book of Judges. And the Bible says that everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And when a man is uncertain of what he believes, when a man is unsure of his values, his core values, of where he stands, it ripples down to his sons and daughters and even to his grandchildren and generations to come. And you end up with young folk who may say something like this 20-something-year-old did. I don't know what I believe in. And if I believe, I believe there's some higher power, I think. But I don't know. Like right now, I'm at a point where I don't know what to believe, but I'm open to everything. So I like to believe in everything because I don't know what it is I truly believe in. Listen to that. I like to believe in everything because I don't know what it is I truly believe in. For years now, we have seen the formation of a subjective, feeling, me-centered theology, not just in the culture, but unfortunately, it's creeping into our churches where there is this openness to embrace any and every ideology and every theological system. And just because somebody says this is theology doesn't mean it's good theology, Hello. And so I'm calling us to a point of order. I, I, I'm asserting this morning that truth is not optional. There are boundaries to the Christian faith. Not everything is negotiable. Some things must be believed if you're to call yourself a Christian. You see, Christianity is a doctrinal faith. And I know when some folk hear that word doctrine, they all think, oh boy, this is going to be boring and I just, I don't need to show up for that. Let me tell you, doctrine is not boring. Men may make it boring, but doctrine is not boring. Theology is not boring. The study of God, and it ought to be the goal and the aspiration of every man and woman like Paul, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection, in the fellowship of his suffering. Listen, salvation depends on what you believe. More than 80 times salvation comes to those who believe in the gospel according to John. You are what you believe. You've heard it said you are what you eat. There's a lot of truth to that. But you are what you believe because what you believe determines your Destiny For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whomsoever believes on him should not perish but have everlasting life. And I'm not talking about an intellectual mental ascent or a cognitive nod of the head in the right direction. I'm talking about believing in your heart, in the core of your being, entrusting your whole being, your spiritual wellness uh, into the hands of Christ who died at Calvary's cross to save you and forgive you of all your sins where he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God that is in Christ Jesus. Lord, I believe. 
Oh, we're hard on Thomas. We call him Doubting Thomas. But I, I don't think it was so much that he doubted as it was that he wouldn't settle for a second-hand revelation. He didn't want to rest on the testimony of the others. He wanted to know for himself. May God raise up some mighty men of valor and some spirit Holy Ghost-filled women who want to know for themselves, who will not settle for a second-hand revelation. But I want to know that I know that I know that I know my Lord and my God thou art the Christ the son of the living God and that's why Paul said I'm not ashamed because I know in whom I have believed and I'm convinced that he's able to guard what I've entrusted to him against that great day the Protestant Reformation was known for its five solas by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to Scripture alone, for the glory of God alone. We're not saved by the works of the law or by obedience to the church or by human righteousness or by good intentions or by the sacraments or by the presence or penance of almsgiving. We're saved by the blood of Jesus plus nothing and minus nothing. That's why I bring out the Apostles' Creed and I restate it in my own hearing many times because I love how it begins. I believe. I believe. What do you believe, man of God? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell the third day. He arose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost. I believe in the Holy Universal Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection, of the body and the life everlasting. Amen. I believe. I believe. I believe. Help any unbelief. But Lord, I, I believe. Help me with my doubts. But Lord, I believe. Life is filled with twists and turns and ups and downs and bends in the way. But Lord, I still believe. Amen. Right, here I stand on Christ the solid rock. All other ground is sinking sand. I'm standing on the sure settled word of Almighty God. Stand firm in the faith. The message paraphrases it. Hold tight to your convictions. Your convictions about what God's word says regarding anything and everything. Marriage and life and culture. Someone said, be an expert on the word of God and you will always know what to say to the culture. Speak it in love. Be full of grace and truth. But men... Know what you believe and where you stand. Here I stand. Here, here I stand in the faith. I just have a moment to hit the other two, but the second one is here I stand in the fight. And I'm not talking about being a radical jihadist like the Muslim Brotherhood and goes across a land, invades a territory and says to people either you repent and believe on Jesus or we're taking you out but I am talking about engaging in an invisible battle against a real enemy against Satan and all of his demons 
that will surely rise up against you, man or woman of God, when you take your stand in the faith. And so you've got to put on, Paul said, Ephesians 6, 11, the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Listen, Ephesians 6, 12, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand, stand therefore. And so every morning when you get out of the bed, men, just as you dress for work, whatever that attire may be, don't forget to suit up in the full armor of God. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The shield of faith, the breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation, the belt of truth, the boots of Wake up, almighty man of God. Wake up and engage with the battle. Unfortunately, some men and women don't even know there is a battle, so they're not showing up. It's time that we show up. There's no place for a lazy spiritual couch potato. (laughs) We've got to be alert, sober-minded, awake, watchful. Like I said, we could preach a whole year, Pastor. Think about Gideon and his mighty men. 300, his army reduced to 300, but men who were sober, alert, who knew where they stood and who were ready to engage the enemy. Romans 12, 11 says, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Why do you have to know there's a battle? Why do you need to be equipped and engaged in the battle? Because third thing is you've got to stand in the family. Think about the warfare Nehemiah experienced as he went to rebuild the sun-bleached walls that were broken down in Jerusalem. I don't have time to expound upon all of the tactics of the enemy that came against Nehemiah. And the enemy doesn't have anything new. He's still using those same weapons. Fatigue is one of them. Is there anybody who's just tired? Is there anybody who has said those words recently. I'm just so tired. Frustration is another one. Anybody here this morning just frustrated? Frustrated over your circumstances. Frustrated over events. Frustrated over relationships. Frustrated over finances. Frustrate, you name it. And fear was another one. All of those are in the book of Nehemiah. But Nehemiah had a plan. First thing he did was to request God's help. Stand with me because I, I want to land the plane and save some time if anyone wants to come for prayer. But the first thing Nehemiah did was he just simply said, Lord, I'm going to summarize. He said, Lord, help me. Men, there are two prayers you ought to pray every day. And ladies, you can pray them too. They're simple. You can remember them. Two words. Both prayers, just two words. Well, put Lord in front of it, three words. Here's the first one, Lord. And I'm, I have a deaf daughter, so let me teach you some sign language. Lord, thank you. 
Because if you ever lose the sense of gratitude and thankfulness, you're going to sink quickly. That's the first prayer. You got it? Lord, thank you. Second prayer, Lord, help me. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Help me. That's what Nehemiah did. He requested God's help. He rallied his family. He said to the men, stand guard by families. He said, number three, remember who God is. That's Nehemiah 4.14. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. And then the fourth thing he did is he said, now when you've asked for God's help and you've rallied your family and you remember who God is, now you're ready to reclaim your family. Fight for your brothers, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. And if you go back to 1 Corinthians 16, 13, if you'll come on and begin to play. Paul, in those staccato commands, he talks about, let everything be done in love. I love the way Eugene Peterson paraphrases it. Love without stopping. And I just came to tell somebody today who is anxious about life. I don't know where you are in your personal life. I don't know where your marriage may be. It could be on the rocks. It could be great. I don't know. I don't know where your finances are. I just know life is hard. Life is hard. Maybe it's a health challenge you're facing. And you're asking yourself, what's the answer? Love without stopping. Love without stopping. Sometimes you have to say that and model it with a child that's a prodigal, with a child that's far away from God and estranged from family. Love without stopping. Sometimes you model that in your marriage. Love without stopping. You, you never know what relationship you're going to be called on or what situation you're going to confront. Just love without stopping. Jesus, be Jesus in me. And I'm not suggesting that anybody here remain in an abusive relationship. I want you to understand that, women. Man, I want you to understand, a real man doesn't beat up a wife. A real man doesn't beat up his kids. The Bible says to us in the book of James, the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Hear that again. The wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Yes, be angry and sin not, but if your wrath is unrighteous and most of the time ours is it will not produce the righteousness of God but if you'll love without stopping it's what David Wilkerson said to Nicky Cruz on the streets of New York City when Nicky threatened his life with a switch blade in his hand and David Wilkerson said you can take me and cut me up into a thousand pieces and throw them on the sidewalk but every piece will shout, Jesus loves you. I love you.
love without stopping. So from across this auditorium, if you're here this morning and you just you want this message to be sealed in your heart and in your spirit, you want the Holy Spirit to write these words, here I stand. Where are you standing? Well, I'm standing in the faith. I'm standing in the fight. I'm standing in the family. And I'm doing so in the power, the energy, the strength of the Holy Spirit. Anybody this morning? That's me, hello, by the way. I, I need that in my life. You never, if, how many dads in the place this morning? How many, how many? You know what I've learned? You never stop being a father. I just got here. A pastor was about to go in meltdown, but I've been there. Like, where is he? Did he get, what happened? Is he going to be here? Do I need to go find me a sermon real quick? <laughs> Instant in season, out of season but I got a call early this morning that I wasn't expecting from my firstborn, 31 years old, a beautiful woman of God, family nurse practitioner, and she just needed to debrief. She was on her way to early service to sing on a praise team in the church I pastored 21 years. But at that moment, she felt like she needed to talk to her father. And her last words are, Dad, I got to get in for rehearsal, but would you please pray for me? You never stop being a parent. And so I can think of many reasons why I want to come for prayer this morning, but that's one of them. Lord, give me wisdom. Help me to know how to stand, how to love without stopping. Anybody this morning, that's you quickly now. Come, come right on without anything further. Come. Here I stand. Here I stand in the faith. Here I stand in the fight. Here I stand in the family. Love without stopping. Love without stopping. Oh, thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Spirit of God. Thank you for these men and women of God stepping out today to say, Lord, thank you. Lord, help me. Thank you, Jesus. Help me, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Help me, Lord. Oh, Father, we bring your people to you right now in the mighty name of Jesus. Men and women of God, precious brothers and sisters in Christ who have stepped out in, in faith and said, Lord, I need you. I need your help. I want to be a man of God. The women are saying, I want to be a woman of God. Here I stand on this 500th anniversary when Martin Luther mustered courage, born of the Holy Spirit, to say in the face of excommunication and potential death, here I stand, I can do no other. God help me, amen, so be it. Here I stand, Lord, in your presence. Some are kneeling in your presence. You know the posture of our hearts. We humble ourselves before you today. We thank you for your faithfulness. Help us never to lose sight of your faithfulness, oh God, to thank you for grace greater than our sin, for mercies that are fresh in you every morning. Here we stand in your presence, Lord. <laughs> Help us, Lord. Indeed, one of your compound names is Jehovah Azer. You are the Lord who helps us. <laughs> you are Jehovah Sabaoth. You are the commander of angel armies. <laughs> Hallelujah, we serve a risen Savior. And because you live, you make intercession for us. 
you are with us, Lord. And so encourage a brother, a sister in the Lord this morning. You are with us. Hallelujah. Emmanuel, God with us. Jehovah Shammah, the Lord who is present. Man of God, woman of God. You're here this morning and you don't know Christ as Savior. And Lord, today's the day of salvation. Now's the accepted time. And if you'll call out to him in that prayer, help me, Jesus. Make it even more specific. Save me, Jesus. Save me. Whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Romans 10, 13. For if we believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead and we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we shall be saved. Admit you're a sinner. Believe that he's the Christ, the only Savior of the world, and call on Jesus. Save me, Jesus. Lord Jesus.